Where does professional development fit into our current reality? What do educators need most? What formats are the most flexible? Hi, this is Steph from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, we're going to hear a conversation between Michelle Flynn and Jacqueline Karabinas, two specialists from the Heinemann Professional Development Team. Michelle and Jacqueline bring a variety of perspectives on what they're hearing from teachers and schools about their needs, as well as from our authors about their observations and experiences working virtually with educators and students over the last six months. If you want to learn more about Heinemann's professional development offerings, visit heinemann.com pd. Now, here's Michelle and Jacqueline. Hi, everyone. We're glad that you're all listening today. Uh, this is Jacqueline Karabinas, and I have the pleasure of working along with Heinemann Publishing and Professional Development, and I'm here with Michelle Flynn. And we, we've had a lot of conversations um, in the last six months about what it means to uh, engage in professional learning in these days. So we thought we would record a conversation and let you all in on the conversation, and we could share what we're seeing and hearing. Absolutely. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Jacqueline. It's always so great to think through and talk through things with you and share ideas and, of course, share all the conversations we're having with authors and customers, which have been, in the time of COVID, a little different. I always say I've been working for Heinemann for 11 years for the professional development team, and prior to that, Heinemann, I knew Heinemann because they were a customer of mine in a very different way. Uh, I came to Heinemann 11 years ago. I I had two kids, one of whom was just going into kindergarten. So my whole, um, to, to have the chance to talk to the uh, people in the field as I was as I was moving into that space on a personal level as a parent has been amazing, and I'm I'm so grateful for it, for that, and I'm so grateful for what all teachers are doing on the field, you know, all the time, but maybe especially right now. So it'll be great to talk about, again, what we're hearing and how we might be supporting people in the field. Yeah. And so what grade are your kids in now, Michelle? So your kids are probably in the thick of it. Yes. I have an eighth grader and 11th grader. So imagine that when I started work for for Heinemann, my 11th grader was going into kindergarten. So yes, my whole worldview <laughs> of education has been through that experience. And they're yeah. learning in a hybrid model where they are um, right now, right? So they only they go are. one day a week? One day a week, and then they'll have sort of a down day, and then there are two and a half days of, of virtual learning, So and full day, two and a half full days of virtual learning. So there's been some interesting, that's been interesting to think through too, like the them sitting at a computer for effectively six or seven hours. Of course, there'll be breaks, but you and I both have experienced in our capacities the fatigue of that. So it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes. And I think too, you know, the more you, you put together all of these things you're thinking of, you know, when I think of your context, Michelle, I think of parent, but I also think of expert in conversations with authors in schools. Um, you know, the customers are schools and you get to hear from so many administrators and curriculum coordinators and directors about what they're looking for and what they think teachers need. And sometimes that lines up with what teachers need and sometimes it really misses the mark, which I think is something that I come across in in my work a lot. So my context is, um, I'm also a parent. I have a second grader 
right now who gets to go to school Monday through Thursday and learns from home on Friday because her school is really small and I'm grateful that they have everything they need and I am similarly angered <laughs> that schools down the street do not have everything they need. Um, so it's a, it's a tricky spot to be, I think, to, to feel things at the same time, to feel happiness and anger about a situation. Um, but also I'm a classroom, I was a classroom teacher for 12 years and uh, third and fourth grade. And I've been working with schools um, on my own and then with Heinemann. So I'm sort of like a two hat person, right? So I get to work with Heinemann half time with everything from, you know, helping with the blog and the podcasts and Facebook lives to marketing and um, the online PD specifically and our on-demand courses. And then the other time I'm working directly with teachers. I'm in schools. I'm, you know, helping teachers make sense of integrating their expertise and best practices with technology. And so I hear a lot of teachers say, we had all of this time for PD and none of it was what I needed. And I hear that so often and it saddens me. Um, so I don't know if you can talk about what are some things that you're hearing? Um, what are some things that you're hearing from schools right now about what they think teachers might need? Yeah, it's interesting because I there definitely have been a few things in this time that are not new, but new for me. Um, I think the first thing that caught my attention was early on during this period, the concern around social emotional needs for kids that has been um, increasingly point of conversation, kids and teachers and parents for that matter, right? The whole world, but particularly with um, kids and how teachers can support them. Um, assessment, that had, that had come up in conversation with a couple of contacts at big districts. It was like the challenge of doing assessments when you're not in the room with kids when you can't be looking over the shoulder their shoulders or just all the I, I say sort of vibrational things that happen in, in a classroom needing support around how to do assessments uh, virtually there's been some very interesting conversations around that and of course in light of where we are equity issues I mean this was sort of a topic that had been increasingly uh, a part of conversations but um, definitely a finer point has been made on that. Again, yeah. some very interesting conversations around <laughs> that as well. Yeah. And, and I wonder and, too, sorry, I was just thinking for a minute. I wonder too about when people, when people call and say, you know, we really need to do some work in equity. I always wonder if people actually know what they mean. Um, you know, are they looking for a one day speaker so they can check off the box or are they really looking to address the equity issues that people know exist we've known exist and now they're 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 out for the whole world to see with the way school is right now i just sometimes wonder if if schools know what they're what they're asking for or maybe they're that's they're asking for our guidance too and from conversations with authors yes i think all of the above i think that what has been shaking out in these conversations is that i think some districts and this could simply be a, a bandwidth issue, but they want someone to keynote for an hour or, you know what I mean? Can you kick off something? And the feedback, of course, that sometimes that works, but I think there's a, some resistance maybe um, around that it takes more. We need more than that if you're mm -hmm. really going to address this. 
Um, but again, all over the all over the map. And of course, there's been some really, and we can talk more about sort of format. There's been some really creative thinking around how teachers can be supported in that work. Um, again, like one-on-one -on -one sessions, grade level sessions, you know, you get the big group, but also how can we really narrow down? And of course, there's always been, um, there's been a lot of focus on cohorts, you know, how we, cohorts could be supported in that work to then um, reverberate it out. And it just, it just offers a deeper dive, right? Um, a, a deeper examination of that work mm -hmm. and those topics, because th this actually reminds me of, it's the same with social emotional, right? Where the challenge is that the teachers, I mean, I, I'm going to speak for myself right now. I realized how much I needed to do that work. And I, I'm a parent of two kids, right? And I think for teachers, I imagine it's the same. And in administrators, like human beings, like you have to do the work before you can, it can I don't know, I don't know how to yeah. articulate that. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, before um, you can engage others in it, yes, you, know, you have to do that. You. Yeah, you have to do that when you're looking when you're looking at social emotional learning, you have to do it when you're addressing equity, specifically racial equity in schools. You really, you have to do it yourself first um, to engage colleagues in, in school communities. I think um, I was just looking at a list of things that you and I had talked about, just sort of things we're hearing. And I just want to circle back to when you talked about assessment, because um, something that, I mean, this, that word has a tug and a pull for me because it's really important that we know students are learning. But a lot of times when I hear, you know, we're worried about assessment, how do we assess students remotely? I hear, and, and maybe this is just the mood I'm in <laughs> right now, but I hear, um, I hear accountability. And when I hear accountability, I hear a distrust in the process of learning something new and letting teachers be learners along with their kids. Because yes, it is important. We, we do need to know that students are learning, but we're all in this very new space right now. And I'm feeling as though things like social emotional learning and connections, things like engagement, you know, thinking about engagement looks completely different. I think if you talk to families and caregivers at home, they will tell you what is and isn't working for remote yeah. learning where engagement is concerned. And, you know, maybe we're all in this for a year, maybe longer, but I just, for some reason that word assessment nags at me. Is that the top priority right now? I'm feeling like you can't assess learning if there is no learning happen, happening, right? If there's no engagement, you know, kids feel like their social emotional life is kind of a dumpster fire. <laughs> then No yeah. learning is going to happen. I love that how you, wove that all together. The thing, I, one of the most powerful statements that was made to me by one of our authors around this work was what that question begs for is for schools to really assess what is important to them. You know, what is important to you? What are you trying to, to assess? It is hard right now, right? Because like you said, like everyone's had to make this radical shift in how, you know, the whole paradigm of public school has been turned on its head because mm -hmm. it, it's it's about people being in a room together and right now I mean Nora's so fortunate like she's in a room with her peers and her teacher and her the people that support and love her and and my kids have that one day a week but not a, you know it's sort of a privilege right now I think to have any iteration of that but it, but it's uh, not everybody has that advantage um, 
Yeah, we have the opportunity now to, to completely rethink this. And, you know, I think there are some days where I feel like there are so many teachers out there getting it right. There are, you know, a handful of schools that are able to make priorities, um, you know, to prioritize the wellness of their students and teachers, but not, not enough. And I really think that this is our opportunity. And so when I think about heading into this year, we can't head into this year thinking, okay, we're still going to, you know, we're still going to achieve these standards and be able to do these assessments during the year. And I feel like in so many ways, that's the wrong way to go into this year. It is not the same. This is not business as usual. This is a whole new world. And we have a chance to redefine how we do things. And I think that's why we're in so many conversations about really redefining and restructuring what it means to learn professionally and thinking in terms of professional development. What makes the most sense for teachers right now? What topics do they need? What format do they need? That kind of thing. And I'm so glad you brought up engagement because of course that has been like an overarching theme in a lot of the conversations I've been having and the challenges there. And I was thinking about the author who said they've been engaging and educators have been engaging with kids um, in this virtual environment, kids and modeling something like conferring, right? Um, and and the, the comment, you, you get to learn the moves by being the learner, how there's sort of this other thing happening at play when teachers are able to be a part of what is really high quality professional development even in even virtually because they can they're they're observing those things as well like whoa how is this person like doing breakout rooms or or asking questions or leveraging the chat or all these all these things you know I, I I loved that comment and quote but yeah I I think that you know in the engagement I know that for my 13 year old boy that had been a that was a huge challenge last year you know yeah. he just lost interest because uh he he yeah, he was sitting up in his bedroom on his computer doing his work, you know, and it wasn't, wasn't engaging. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, you know, when I think about, um, you know, the, like the examples you just gave, and I mean, who said that? Was it? Was Dan it Fagelson. Dan Fagelson? That's what Yay, I thought. Dan Fagelson. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought he'd said that. And, you know, and we've had conversations with a lot of authors about how, you know, they're really, they're learning how to keep their expertise and their best practice for you know, wherever their area of expertise is at the center and learning what this looks like in a virtual environment. We're all doing that together. There are very few experts out there that have already been doing this virtually, but now we all are. And so we all have to sort of share that together. And when I think about, um, you know, when I think about being the learner in those professional settings or professional learning and really learning the moves, like he said that, I think about, it's not just that those moments when you're in professional development virtually, but it's also trying to make sure that we're offering enough like schedules and formats. You know, some people want to dig in for a full day. Some people only have, you know, the hour after their students are done and they're exhausted because they've been um, on a screen all day, but maybe they want to engage in a three or four, four part webinar series. And, you know, a lot of the authors and, and people that I talk with are planning full days or half days or things like that. But you talk with people who are, you know, looking for speakers and seminars and, and it's almost as though there's more, there are more possibilities now because there isn't travel, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. So there's been, like you said, the full day, the half day. Well, to be honest, like in the full day, 
has sort of shifted for a lot of people as well because again the the sort of um attention span and capacity and it's somewhat dependent on topic you know what someone might want to speak to to five hours versus three hours or whatever it is um because at, at Heinemann PD we would always think of a day like a school day in terms of the professional development we, we were offering but now people are moving into things like um a lot of requests around coaching which has been a really wonderful kind of shift um where authors are totally they, they, even doing like office hours making available for offers office hours i would say that in a lot of instances that's kind of more uh, geared toward those longer term relationships where it's not where you know a lot of schools are going to need you to come in and do a day they have a day set aside but then we have a lot of engagements where it's just ongoing multi-year multi-day throughout the school yeah that, that really wonderful embedded kind of model that mm -hmm. um that we love and I know our, our authors love so much because you develop all those relationships. Um, so, so yeah, so coaching, uh, office hours, one-on-one -on -one with grade level people, with grade level teams, with cohorts, you know, people, it, it's really interesting because I did so much of my job via email, but I, I don't know if this is the nature of just being home and feeling my own isolation, but I'm doing a lot more Zoom calls with customers or picking up the phone and talking through things and idea generation. And of course, we're doing that all the time with the authors that we support. So when people ask me the question, like, what do they offer? I'm like, what do you want? What can you support? What do you think the teachers have bandwidth for? Because I think the authors are all really, really open to your point, like thinking alongside schools in that way and providing that support. I'm glad we, you know, we've talked about Dan Fagelson. We have other authors that are doing like Matt Glover, Carl Anderson, and that's, it's not limited to them. Um, I know Penny Kittle's been doing that work where you're actually um, working with kids as well. I mean, there's a whole other layer of permissions there and that might not work for everybody, but, um, but just like if they were in the school modeling, so you had teachers observing them at work, that can happen, that is happening and can happen virtually as well, which was wonderful and revelatory and, and uh, I think the, um, the people I've spoke to who are engaging that love it too as well because they want to talk to the kids, you know. Mm -hmm. I know, I know. It's, you know, everyone misses the kids, you know, for, for our authors who are still in the classroom, you know, their expertise is, is growing exponentially by the day by, by doing this and being, um, being so involved. And for those who aren't still in the classroom, they are still constantly in contact with classrooms that they have already developed relationships with, learning alongside the teachers, coaching, you know, teachers in how to do things how to maintain best practices. Because I would say one of the things that I see the most often when I'm working with teachers and coaching teachers is that I have to remind them that just because the technology is the delivery, it doesn't mean that it has to include tech. And I think it's so easy to think, oh wait, I have tech. And so the assignment needs to be based in tech and we're turning things in based on tech. And you aren't necessarily needing to do that. And I feel like I learned a great deal from Kristen Simke and Katie Mutaris in, in this area about really focusing on the learning and not the tool. And I think that, you know, teachers are so stressed. And when you're stressed and you're tired, it's really hard to remember what you know, I think. And right. we know that things like conferring are 
really powerful practices for individualized instruction. And we know that, you know, kids reading and writing with real books and paper and pencils in their hand is really powerful for them. And so remembering that these are things that we need to include and, you know, just getting some coaching on how, how do we organize that if I'm teaching live or how do I, you know, support students and in independence if I'm, you know, if I'm, they're working, they're doing that asynchronously and I'm working with small groups or, or something like that. And so I just, I feel like that's the, the bonus of working with our authors in various formats of professional development, because, you know, even the ones that haven't been using technology for years and years and years, they're coming into this, like many teachers are, with this fresh perspective of here's what I know works with kids. Now, what tools will best support that? And then really learning that through the professional development itself, you know, being the learner. I love that. I, I when, we, when this all, when we, we started making this shift to um, everything going virtual in the spring, I remember I felt like, wow, we're all living this in real time together. And that's what I would tell the, the people that were coordinated to do the PD when they were feeling that reticence, like, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm like, we are in this with you. Literally, we are in this, you know, and we are learning. I mean, you know, we certainly have, and it's always changing, isn't it, Jacqueline? But we certainly are developing our own best practices and recommendations and suggestions. And that's the stuff that I pass on in conversation when inquiries come in for, um, for a particular author, you know, I'm not only having those conversations, obviously, with the with the um, teachers or the administrators or the coordinators. I'm having those authors uh, conversations with, with the authors as well, and they're sharing what's really working or not working for them. And um, and I think that what's been good is they they've sort of. I think it's important to have, you know, boundaries around what's tenable because ultimately, I think that everybody's worried about the teachers and how they're holding up and doing and what is the best way we can support them. And sometimes it's like to pare things back is, is it's hard, but it's also like important, you know, I am not, I, I, that's not really it. I'm generalizing, but it's really, I shouldn't be generalizing because everybody is um, wanting to support teachers in any way they can. But um, I think a lot of it is just born out of that concern and care. And, you know, it's like, there's a lot. <laughs> I, I always, I always say, and I always say when I talk to people, I'm like, I hope you had some downtime this summer because I feel like everybody was in this kind of like, oh, you know, how are we gonna make this work, and what do we, all the things we I, need to do. I know, but I would say any um, teachers I was in conversation with um, who spent their summer preparing and you know doing PD on their own and and all the things um, that some teachers choose to do in the summer are starting the year still saying, I, I don't feel prepared. I've never started a year feeling so unprepared, but I hear the exact same things from teachers um, who felt that the best thing for them to do was to rest and recuperate. And both approaches are 100% valid for the summer. Um, everybody needs something different to revitalize for the new school year. But no matter what people chose to do this summer, I hear the same thing. I don't feel, I don't feel prepared because at the heart, teachers want to connect with students and we want them to, you know, to spark a love of learning and to learn. And, you know, while we feel, you know, teachers feel comfortable doing that and can be amazing in the classroom, when you put them in a, in a new setting, that takes a little bit of time. And that sort of loops me back to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is 
you know, which assessment, you know, if, if that's the first thing we're going for, you know, maybe taking a step back while important and saying, okay, what kinds of things need to be in place? What professional learning do teachers need so that we know when we're assessing learning that we know kids, you know, actually got what they needed to learn and that teachers got the professional learning they needed to teach um, in this different environment. Yeah. Another thing that someone um, said to me about this time we're in and concern about kids and the whole conversation about kids falling behind or losing ground and is, you know, the most important thing is that we just need to work to keep kids curious, you know, and I was going to say that early on another, something that I kind of thought I might be hearing more from people, but wasn't, but I think is inquiry. I thought I might hear a little bit more about inquiry in terms of requests because there's a opportunity maybe for a little independence around that, you know, the things that could be happening, even if you can't go outside that, you know, they could engage with kids on, but it hasn't really um, caught fire the way that I thought it would, but, but anyway, that just ties into that. I, I loved, I thought that was such a value statement, you know, and again, let me say as a mother, I (laughs) definitely resonated for me in that way too. Well, it's hard because if you have, you know, if there are things that you have in place, if there are certain routines um, and structures that you have in place in your classroom already, moving to remote, you know, some of those pieces won't be hard. But if you don't have, you know, if you don't have strong community building space and time for your students in the physical classroom, all of a sudden doing that remotely is not going to be seamless. And the same thing goes for inquiry. Uh, There's so much with inquiry that has to be designed collaboratively among students. And so knowing how to do that in person is hard enough. (laughs) Then you move it online and it's challenging too. And I wouldn't say that doesn't mean don't do it. I'm with you, Michelle. I was surprised too. I feel like this this is the time for inquiry. I mean, a lot of schools have prioritize their standards and they're calling them power standards or priority standards and what an opportunity for inquiry right and um, I know too that from on the parent side where it can be challenging you know if families and caregivers are supporting inquiry at home it can often land a lot on them if not structured properly for the collaboration and the gradual release to independence so um, that could be an area where people could really use could really use some professional development time as well. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about leadership. I think that you know, just looking at the list of things that we put together of what we're seeing and hearing, I think that I mean it's hard to be anyone in education right now. And I I really hope that we can have school leaders who are listening to teachers and what they need and you know, based on what they're seeing from their own experiences and their uh, students, the people who are actually doing it. Uh, we really have to be listening to teachers. I know that can be hard in really large districts, but it's got to be a priority because, you know, blanket professional development to say we're checking the box that everyone's ready for X thing in remote learning just is not going to work. It's not going to work at all because teachers are individuals, their students are individuals, and that's where that coaching comes in. I think the coaching is going to be really key for, for a lot of teachers. And, you know, I hope that leaders can also think about priorities and think alongside teachers. I've heard of teachers being observed already in their remote classrooms. And how stressful is that? I mean, are you observing to support or are you observing 
I mean, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I right, really right. wonder about that. Um, I don't know. Just some thoughts on my mind about, you know, what leaders can do, school leaders can do in this time. It makes me think too about, and I'm not sure, um, I haven't seen any information on this, how many teachers, although the kids are virtual, where teachers are in a building together. I know I have heard a lot of feedback in that where teachers were just so happy to be in their classrooms, even though it's so different, even though in some instances, but they're, they're teaching virtually from their own classroom. Hopefully that offers a chance for teachers to have their community, at least their peers, you know, together, their, their colleagues for conversation and support and thinking. And, you know, again, I don't know what that, what that looks like you know, what the statistics on that are. I kind of assume mm -hmm. that like a lot of people, a lot of teachers are working in the buildings. That's a yeah, little tangent transitional. Go ahead. No, no, I, I agree. But I, I feel like I, every time I think I've heard every single model in yeah. combination possible, I hear another one. And I think that we just have to name that and accept that everyone is doing something different to the best of their ability. And I don't know, I think it is important to think about teacher isolation in any of the models because teaching is already kind of an isolating job and, and this really does not help, you know, especially if, you know, you're a teacher that just really relies on that community to think together and to design um, learning. You know, at my daughter's school, they're remote every Friday so that the teachers can work together. And when schools are prioritizing that somehow in whatever the model is, that is going to create more success in the things that lead to learning so that you can maybe focus on assessment at some point, right? It's a, it's a domino effect. You know, everything connects to the other. Well, and I think that this is where like your, your thinking Jacqueline around how leadership and administrators, if they're really listening to what teachers need, th this is all a part of that perfect storm, right? Like if teachers have time to be planning without kids in the building, if there there's conversations happening, if administrators are listening to those conversations and hearing the need and then how, I mean, I'm just going to say like, that's what we do. Right. And we, we provide the professional development where those teachers can be together and be in conversation and be listening from these experts um, in their areas, you know, subject matter experts. Um, I, I've heard so many amazing I've received so much amazing feedback from teachers over the course of these last few months where they just are so appreciative of just having, it's like a, it's like you can be immersed in something because it's like, oh, oh Kelly Gallagher said something really funny. He's like, he, he said he currently feels like he has confetti brain, right? Like where everything is like popping around. There's nothing is landing. Everything is, you know, feeling sort of scattered. I think everybody's feeling that way, but I think having a day of professional development with someone that you can learn from and you admire and respect and all these things and is doing this important work. It just gives people an opportunity to be grounded. Yeah, no, I just, I just remembered someone in the spring tweeted that when they had a, you know, a one day virtual workshop with um, Maggie Roberts and Kate Roberts and felt like they said, this is the first day since shutdown that I felt like my professional self and how you know, a full day of virtual professional development isn't for everyone, but for some teachers out there, just immersing yourself in that full day where you can be reminded of, you know, the job that you know and love for a whole day, it's so valuable. Totally. Yeah, no, I know. There have been all kinds of feedback like that that's just been so, and of course, I mean, 
a little bit selfishly gratifying too because i think we're all feeling that isolation as well like our whole you know there was this moment in the spring where i realized like wow my job has totally changed you know and how we all had to mm -hmm. catch up so to know and to have those um to get that kind of feedback from teachers and and know that they're that it's it's something that's benefiting them and not just another thing that they have to do that's causing stress and you know it's that right. that that feels really good too those were those were um those moments of like oh thank god you know like i think sometimes teachers can come into these things and it can feel the stress about being out of your classroom right now right. like oh my god i can't be out of the classroom right now but at least if they are to know that they can be in the moment and they're getting something out of it and it's not just adding one more thing right. you know to their already overwhelmed <laughs> lives yeah. you know i know and i think that you know always remembering that the you know authors authors who are in the classroom or authors who are full-time consultants right now who have spent plenty of time in classrooms they are that they to be reminded that they're learning alongside with us and they can be think partners along with teachers you know I think of the conversation I had with Cornelius Minor a few weeks ago where he said right now I'm I'm focusing on my online pedagogy what does it mean what is school what does that even mean this is what I'm learning this is what I'm developing this is the thinking that um, I'm having with my colleagues right now and that's what everyone's trying to do and I wouldn't even say trying, I would say everyone is doing it. You know, authors are having conversations with each other, with schools, you know, if they're working with students, they're really um, just kind of rethinking what it means to teach and learn alongside with us. And so, you know, that's, you know, all the conversations that we get to have when you put all these pieces together, you know, it allows us to match people up with the right kind of PD that will kind of fit what they need. Um, well said. Yeah. There yeah. was something I was thinking of, you know, as we wrap up this conversation, I'm just acknowledging a few things. I mean, we know that there are so many settings out there right now where school hasn't even begun yet because the things that needed to be done to make sure that all students can access education are not done. And so we really just want to acknowledge that in many places, Schools are still trying to figure out how kids have access to a device. Are they going to be in a physical space? Who gets to be there and when and why? You know, who pays for what? I mean, there are so many places out there that can't even get to the instruction part yet. And we see you too. And I just wanted to acknowledge that because, you know, when you're a teacher that feels like you can't even get started with teaching and learning alongside your students because of all of the systems that are failing you right now, it's, that's an impossible place to be. And so we see you, we just want to acknowledge that for sure. Yeah. Emphatically shaking my head. Thank you so much for saying that. And again, Jacqueline, this has been a real experience of my checking my own assumptions around things because where I live and what I, you know, in my experience, um, even here locally, I, when, this all first started my husband and I were out for a walk and we ran into um fourth grade teacher at the elementary school my kids go went to and I said how are you she's like I'm so worried about some of the kids that I just simply haven't you know heard from like it's the mm -hmm. it's the, at the forefront of every teacher's mind right and of course to your point those people that just it's not even um it's not even an option right now Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it's it's you know it's cities, but it's rural areas too. Areas yeah. too. I feel like because you know you and I both live, you know, we live in New Hampshire. So yep. any you know anyone I've talked to in rural areas is 
they're coming across their own set of um, struggles to get teaching and learning happening for their for their school communities. And then, you know, a lot of our authors live in live in New York City. And I feel like those conversations are always really valuable to me, as I'm sure they are to you, Michelle, because it's just always being aware how different everyone's situations are, not just in model, but in what their communities are like. And that can be anything from, you know, communities that are having a hard time getting things um, set up and equitable for all of their students, all the way to the communities who where families uh, and parents are you know, super engaged with schools and really trying to, you know, are absolutely an important part of this conversation. Remote learning depends on the support of families and caregivers. But, you know, I hear stories of places where decisions were made and, you know, families, parents didn't agree with it and things had been overturned within days. And so it's just so complicated. So, so complicated. You know, so complicated. <laughs> it's a lot. The other thing that, you know, we didn't get to talk about a lot, maybe we can um, have another conversation again soon with some educators um, mm -hmm. who are, you know, deep in remote learning or hybrid, hybrid instruction right now, is how educators are still trying to pursue racial equity in schools, knowing that there is a lot to address right now, but not letting it be pushed to the wayside. I know that, you know, I think of all the educators this summer that participated in the, um, in IREL, mm -hmm. in the Institute for Racial Equity and Literacy with Trisha Barbia and Sonia Cherry Paul. And there was so much learning that happened there over those two weeks with, you know, almost, you know, over 500 people between the two sessions. And I, I think a, a really valuable conversation to come back to is how do we still keep that as a priority when schools are saying, not right now, we have X to deal with, not right now, we have this to deal with. And yeah, a conversation for another time, I think. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. I know, it's so great to catch up and talk about all of these things. And as usual, we just scratch the surface. But yeah, I would love to continue the conversation. I love the idea of bringing educators in. You know, you and I both have relationships with people in the field. Yeah, I've seen it, you know, I've seen a lot of um, equity plans come into my inbox from schools and districts wanting to engage in that way. It's like all the thinking was there. Uh, but now it's like this, the, the execution, even in these times, you know, mm -hmm. and I always feel like the kids are so ready for that work, you know? Yeah. The kids yeah. are so ready. Yeah. Yeah. They absolutely are. They were ready yesterday for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. All right. Well, thanks, Michelle. It's fun yes. talking to you today. You too, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for always for your converse, like I said, conversation support. I really appreciate you. And I thank you to all the teachers out there. Our thanks to Michelle and Jacqueline for their time today. You can learn more about our schedules of webinars, virtual workshops, and options for custom virtual PD at Heinemann.com PD. Thanks for listening. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.